Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. We just uh, pray that God will work mightily in your hearts today wherever you are. So let's open up our time together with a word of prayer. Commit this time here in the word to the Lord and ask him to use us. Father, thank you so much that um, the, the formative part of our lives um, extends from everything that we, we do, every breath that we take throughout the week, and it's certainly important for us to be here today and to be gathered together corporately, to, um, to sit under the teaching of the Word of God, to worship you through singing songs, to connect with one another, to pray for one another, and, and, um, and Lord, just to... Um, experience your presence with us here thank you that we know lord jesus you're gathered uh, wherever uh, two or three are gathered in your name that you are there and we we thank you lord that uh, that you are joining us today and um, undertake and teach us through your spirit and your word today uh, we pray in jesus name amen what is a again as i said before is a great joy to be here and um as I thought about spending four weeks with you, and I thought, let's, let's take a look at some, at some uh, kind of a theme that we can look at for the next four weeks, the next four Sundays. And um, this, this theme, uh, it, it seems kind of wordy, paradoxes in redemption, the paradoxes of redemption. And um, it, it seems a little bit maybe hard to grasp a hold of, but I think, it's, I think you'll see it's a very formative part of, of our growth. Um, the Bible has a lot of paradoxes in there. And they are really seemingly absurd statements that seem to contradict one another. But when you, when you hold them close to one another and look at those, you begin to see that they, they in fact are true. That things that seem to be opposite can actually be true. And so we're going to look at a few paradoxes over the next four Sundays. And, and I think that they'll be helpful in, in God's process of maturing all of us. And I know I've been blessed as I've studied those again in, uh, in, the, in the past week or two here and, and uh, beginning to put some of this together. So, um, this, Our family has a friend up in Mullen. Um, his, his name is Chris O'Brien. And Chris is a knife maker. He, he, he fabricates custom knives out of, out of steel. It's kind of a fascinating process to watch um, him build together layer after layer of different metals and then put them in the forge and, and take a, a hammer and begin to flatten and, and, and hammer weld or hammer forge these different plates of steel together. And then, uh, and then fold and bend that steel and then begin flattening it out again and forging this out. And, and Chris is, is really good at this. Um, in fact, he's really good. He, he was on the History Channel earlier this year, and he won this championship called Forged in the Fire. And um, I, I, I've got a chance to watch that one uh, a couple, a few weeks after it aired, and it was, it was fascinating to watch him build these big swords. And he started out with a, with a pattern, and this pattern is a, a life-size pattern on graph paper, and it, it showed exactly what this sword would look like. 
But I can tell you one thing, when you begin the process of building it, you have no clue what it's going to be when, it, when you're done. Because it didn't look anything like the picture at all. There was just a, a clump of steel, you know, red hot, and then pounded together, and slowly over a lot of time and a lot of work, this, this sword began to emerge. And when it was done, it was just incredible to see how beautiful and functional those layers of Damascus steel were. And, uh, and the patterns that, that emanated throughout this sword. And, and I began to think it's a lot like the Christian life. We understand that God has a pattern. God has a purpose. and God has an end design in mind. When, when, when we come to faith in Christ and we receive the gift of eternal life, we're, we're placed in identity and association with Christ. God begins a work in our life to transform us into the image of his son. God has a pattern in mind. God has an end result or an end goal. And all the events of our lives are being orchestrated together to produce this this thing that that comes out in the end. In fact, in in Luke chapter 2, Luke records the growth of Jesus. And, and it says in, in Luke 2.52, he says, And he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. The word, the word grow is the, is the word prokopto. And, and it means to be forging or lengthening a piece of iron as a smith hammers it on an anvil. That's God's picture of the growth of the Christian life, that God takes a piece of raw steel or raw metal, scrap iron, if you will, and through purposeful blows and heat and following a design in mind, he lengthens or causes us to grow and mature into the image of his son, Jesus, so that he can truly be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, that's what the Bible says that God has determined. God has determined to do something in your life. And this occurs over and over and over again in Scripture, that God has determined to conform all of us, all of his children, into the image of his son, Jesus. It doesn't mean we look like him physically. That means that the very core of who we are, the essence of who we are, is to be, is to be conformed in the image of his son. And that's a lifelong process. It ultimately won't be complete until we're glorified and our body is resurrected from the grave. That will be the ultimate completion. And we know that from Romans chapter 8. And we see in in Romans 8 verse 29 that we are predestined, that's God's determined foreknowledge, to conform us to the image of his son. I want you to think about something. If If this pencil represents all of time from the beginning of creation until the end of the end of time as we know it that that somewhere on this timeline you have been born you entered the world physically somewhere along this timeline some of you were more over here than than over here and some of you are right here we have some a lot of little ones in here but somewhere on this line you entered time and god is eternal right He exists before this time began. He exists after this time began. He is above it. 
He is below it. He is in it. He is through it. But that timeline is the history that we know from the time of creation until the time of the consummation. But God is existing right now behind it, ahead of it, above it, and below it. He's beside it, he's in it, and he's through it. He's eternal. And so the process of you being raised from the dead, God already sees that in the present. God sees everything that happens in your past as being in the present as well. If you can understand that, catch me after church and explain it to me. I have a finite mind. I can't understand it. But I understand it to be absolutely true. Listen, listen for a practical second here. That the very things that happened to you in the past that could have been considered traumatic, God is presently there right now. He's eternal. God is present in the things that happened in your past. God is also present in the glorification that's going to happen in the future. And uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For who before knew, those he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so God says, these things... These people, my people, are already glorified. We're already risen from the dead. Your your eternal destiny is so secure, God can look at it from the future and say it's already happened. And Paul says, what shall we say to these things? (laughs) If God be for us, who can be against us? How shall he not give us all things through Christ? And he goes on and he And he shares that. But the determination is that God in the present time, on that timeline, is conforming you into the image of his son. You say, what's God doing in my life today? He's really working hard in my life. What is God doing in my life? He's conforming you to the image of his son. That is what God is doing. And and we think about that. Well, how would you do that if you were God? I'll tell you what, I'd like do the shortcut process. Like, let's just make this thing quick and easy. Bang. Done. But, but God allows things into our lives, both good and bad, in that process of shaping us. Things that we do not understand. Things that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. I mean, how many of you would choose to have trials in your life because they're fun? You know? No, no. I wouldn't choose that at all. But God knows best. He knows what's best for you because he has the pattern is already complete. And he's building the life of Christ into you. That's what God is is doing. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. We shall bear the image of the heavenly man just as we bore the image of the natural man. Just as we bore the likeness of Adam in the body, so we will bear the likeness of Jesus in the spirit. Or 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. That's what God is doing. Or we heard from 1 John chapter 3 this morning from Brett, back up a few verses to 1 John 3.2, And we know that when he, Jesus, is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And there is that 
ultimate completion of God's plan to transform us in the image of his son, the image of likeness. Really what's happening, we could go back to Genesis 1.27. We were created in the image of God. And that is we bear the, the, the moral element and we also bear the, the, the knowing element of, of um, intellect, emotion, and will. We are bearing the image of God. We are creating the image of God. And God, in the process of the believer, is restoring that image. That's what redemption does. Christ redeems us from the penalty of sin, from the daily power of sin, ultimately from the presence of sin. And along that process of growth, we're being transformed in the image of Christ. That's what God is doing. And that's what God is accomplishing in your life. Spiritual formation is the process that God uses to transform us into a useful tool for his glory. And he does this in a remarkable way. That spiritual birth is the first step as we're born into the family of God. We're born separated from God, alienated from God. We're born as sinners. And God in his love made a provision or remedy for sin. He came, left heaven, came to our our earth, this earth that he created that was filled with sin and trials and turmoil and he suffered and died for our sins and arose again. So that when we look to him in faith, God then gives us the gift of eternal life. He credits us the righteousness of Christ, gives us the guarantee of eternal life and he begins the process of conforming us to the image of his son. And that, that happens through the through the reception of food, which we understand spiritual food, is the word of God. He also gives us, um, he also gives us uh, exercise that we're, we're to do. We're to, we're to exercise or utilize our spiritual gifts. We're to be servants. And, um, and then we are also given resistance, and that's the part that we don't like. That trials or or troubles or problems become uh, an active part of God's work in conforming us to the image of his son. So in the process of describing the spiritual development of a believer, the Bible throws a few curveballs. Throughout the Bible, there are numerous paradoxes. A paradox is a, is a seemingly absur- absurd statement that is actually true. And I'll, I'll give you a few. You'll, you'll understand these. But I want you to also understand how easily the mind of the believer assimilates these, these paradoxes. They're not really hard to understand. Here's one. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Wait a minute. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Which one is it? Well, it's, it's both. It's both. Those who are last in this life and, and, and put their own desires and their own agendas on the back burner and assume the agenda, the desires of God, will be first in the kingdom. So the last on this earth will be first in the kingdom. The first on this earth will be last in the kingdom. We understand it may seem absurd, but both are true. It's a true statement. That's in, in Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse 16. The humble will be exalted, and those who are exalt themselves will be humbled. And again, that's a paradox, James 4.10. 
Strength comes through weakness. That's what we're talking about today. Power comes through weakness. And we'll be looking at at 2 Corinthians 12. Um, Whoever tries to keep his life, keep his life, will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it. Another paradox. But we understand what those mean. Paradoxes allow us a deeper insight into the nature of Christ's work in our life. They help us to understand why being a believer is different than being an unbeliever when we're living in this world. It helps us understand that raising kids today is different than, than how raising, you know, raising kids in the Christian home is different than, than raising children in an unbelieving home. The values of Christ are different than the values of the world. We understand that through paradoxes. Paradoxes help us to assimilate the differences between the world that we live in and the kingdom that we're a part of. They help us to see Christ working in us. They're crucial for you and I to understand is a process of spiritual growth. We have to understand that, that God uses those in his word in an attempt to explain to us the, the nature of the spiritual life. Receiving, here's another one, receiving comes through giving. (laughs) Wait a minute, which one is it? How can it be both? Is more blessed to give than to receive. And then the act of giving, we actually receive. And um, we see that as part of our, our formative development as well. Bond servants of Christ are actually free. We saw that in Sunday school today. I, therefore... Uh, a prisoner of the Lord. <laughs> Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. He's actually free. He's free in Christ. And um, life comes out of death. That's another one. Here's one for you. Um, Luke one fifty says that God's mercy is for those who fear him. Think about that a second. The mercy of God is for those who fear him. So those people who fear God have nothing to fear. Wait a minute. Right. If you fear God, you have nothing to fear. But if you don't fear God, you need to fear God. That's a paradox. But you understand also that it's true, don't you? Of course you do. Because you're wired for sound. You're a believer in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is operative in your life and you get that. If you don't fear God, you better fear. If you fear God, you have nothing to fear. God gives his mercy to those who fear him. And paradoxes simply remind us that God's economy is so vastly different from the one that we see in a world that has fallen in love with strength and power and prominence and success and wealth and beauty and performance and on and on and on it goes. And paradoxes help us understand that God's economy is different than that. This morning I want to look, if you open up your Bibles, to um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Let me say this first of all. I want to I want to share I want to share three things about the paradox of of weakness. And, and the paradox is exactly this: that that weakness in God's economy is actually strength or power. That the power of the world that the world wants to show and wants to give and wants you to follow is actually a weakness. It is a deficit. It will not give you the return that you hope or think that it will. Because in God's economy, it's, it's completely different. And here, are the, here is the first of the three statements that I want to make. That people 
or humanity, people are inherently weak. We're, we're born into this world weak. Think about this for just a second. It's not hard to understand. We're, a baby is born into this world, and they need the love and nurture and care of mom and dad. And that's crucial. They're dependent upon them for everything. They cannot dress themselves. They cannot hold themselves. They can't clean themselves. They can't feed themselves. They need, they need parental input for everything. They're vulnerable and they're weak. And that was God's design. God's design was to bring us into this world dependent upon a parent so that we would learn to trust. Now think about this. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? That that, that same relationship as we grow older, God says, now transfer that to me. I want, to be, I want you to be dependent upon me. Like, we're not dependent. We're, we want to be strong. You know, we, we, want to, we want to be independent. We want to be autonomous. And God continually steers and navigates our life so that we have a dependent relationship upon him. The natural order is there. God has placed it in creation for us to follow. And it's not hard for us to see it there. But when babies are born, they're, they're utterly dependent on their, on their parents. And they grow, and they begin to act independently. And then they turn into teenagers. I won't say any more. But we are weak emotionally. We are weak relationally. We're weak spiritually. We are weak physically. We're weak in every aspect. We're inherently weak we're weak because of our separation from God in the garden of Eden but here's the truth weakness is not the problem listen to that we are weak coming into this world we're weak growing up we're weak humans we're weak inherently but weakness is not a problem it's not a deficit the problem comes when we want to find strength that's the paradox when we want to find strength, when we want to discover strength, we, we turn and look for it in the wrong places. That's number two. People look for strength in the wrong places. People are inherently weak, and secondly, they look for strength in the wrong places. Where do people look for strength? Um, power, one of, one of the ways is power and influence over other people, right? How do I find strength? By, by becoming a boss. By having power or influence over other people. And let me be careful to say that none of these things I'm saying are inherently wrong. They're not. I'm just saying we're still looking for that, that idea of, of, of strength. That we're looking for the commodity of strength in the wrong place. We want to be, I want to have power. The corruption of power, we see that from, the, from Genesis 3 all the way through Scripture. All the way through Scripture. We see kings rise up one after another after another after another who abuse the power the position that God gives them to lord it over people. And why do we come to 1 Peter 5? And Peter says, you know, that, that overseers are supposed to be an example to the flock, not lording it over them. Why? Because there is a propensity, there is a, there is a propensity for, for man to assume power. And to have that power and influence over other, other people. Why? Because we feel inherently weak. And we want strength. And so we look for it there. Another way is controlling circumstances. Feeling strong because uh, the situation is under control. I'm going to control my environment. 
I'm going to take this out, do this, do that, do that. That way I don't feel vulnerable. And so that controlling the environment is another way we look for control or strength in the wrong places. It could be building alliances with others. There's strength in numbers. Kind of that idea. Well, I'm going to be friends with them because they've got power. And I'm going to align myself with them because that protects me. Now i got power. And I have strength. Why? Because humanly I'm weak. And so I want there. It could be building material or financial wealth. Again, nothing wrong with any of these. But the point is, is where are we drawing our strength from? What is the purpose in that? Um, I'm strong because I have money, or I'm strong because I have possessions. In our world, that speaks up very, very loudly. I've got this or I've got that, therefore I have power and influence. I don't feel as threatened. I've got strength. And all of those things can have the capacity to draw one away from the power or the position that God puts us in. Um, Another way is that... um, People look at strength through beauty. Power comes from influence over others through beauty. If I look a certain way or I'm this way or that way, then somehow that will give me influence and um, I can find strength through that. Could be physical strength. I can perform, you know, I'm strong because I can perform in contests or I can beat somebody else up, (laughs) whatever. Or or it could be um, armament. You know, I'm strong because I've got a lot of guns or, you know, a big sword or whatever it is. Have you ever wondered why people look to this world to find their source of strength? How weakness is not a very sought-after spiritual commodity? I think a lot of it results from fear of harm. You know, those who appear to be strong may be actually motivated by fear. Fear has a way of motivating us to do a lot of things. Um, That's why the world's definition of strength is actually weakness. If it's motivated, if my motivation to get strength from something in the world is motivated by fear, question, am I weak or strong? I'm, I'm weak. I'm really weak. It's really the world's, the world's, the world's definition of strength because of the motivation to get it in the wrong way is actually fear and that's actually weakness and so the pursuit of those things is really showing us that we that they're really not answering they're not they're not giving in the it's like the addict who says you know what i'm going to do this on my own there's a person who has a, a, a issue with alcohol and they're addicted they're physically chemically and and and, and behaviorally addicted to consuming alcohol and, and and they do it over and over and over again and they say you know what I'm going to quit I'm just going to I'm going to buck it up and I'm going to quit I'm going to pull up all the strength that I have and I'm going to do it question is that usually successful or not no why why not you want to know why because the same strength that you that you're working up to try to to try to overcome this addiction is the very same strength that's driven by fear and causing the weakness. That's why it never works. Why, and even in the 12-step program, why is it? Why is it that the first, the first step is admit that you are what? You know us. No? Powerless. You're powerless over your addiction. 
Why? Because there is strength in weakness. That's crucial. And so we realize, you know what, Lord, I don't have it all together. Guess what? I don't need to. Because you do. And I can rely upon you. I need your strength, your power, your provision. Because what the world offers is a counterfeit. And in our lives as believers, if we expect to grow by drawing in from the counterfeit uh, produce of the world, we will have the same results every time. It will be failure. What will look like power will actually become weakness. I have counseled a lot of men with, uh, through issues of pornography. And it's like, well, you know what, I just need to buck it up and I just need to do this and, and do this and do that. You know, it, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's, it's, it's a matter of, it says, you know what, I've got the power to change this. And, and, and over, why are there so many repeated failures over and over and over again? Because change brought, brought about by fear is, is never going to be lasting. It's got to be drawing on a deeper and more potent resource. And that's the beauty of the Christian life. God knows that we are inherently weak that we look for strength in the, in the wrong places, you know. And, uh, and thirdly, he says that, that he willingly gives power to those who are weak. God doesn't give power to the strong. We won't turn there, but you can jot down Second uh, Chronicles 26. Remind yourself of the life of Uzziah. What, a, what an amazing king. Served 52 years in Jerusalem built fortresses and, and weapons of war. An amazing, an amazing leader. An amazing leader. And the Bible says he was marvelously helped by God until he became strong. Strong. And then pride, when he became pro- strong, pride lifted up. Oh, I'll go ahead and burn incense into the, uh, on the altar Wait a minute, that's for the Levites, and you're not a Levite, Uzziah. doesn't matter. I'm a successful king. I've been reigning 52 years. Look at what I've done for our kingdom. And God struck him with leprosy and killed him like that. Not anymore. You see, God has designed us to be weak so that our source of power and strength would come from him and not the world. And that testifies to the world that this upside-down kingdom that you and I are a part of has more power and more to offer than anything this world does. Don't look to this world and try to draw your strength and power from it or your prominence or your position. Christ gives you everything that you need in his work of transforming you into his image. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul was making a defense of his ministry to the Corinthian church. In fact, go back to chapter 11, and he talks about his own life. See if you want to have a ministry like this in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are there ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labor is more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. How would you like to describe your ministry like that? So how's your ministry going? I got more. <laughs> more trouble, more, more persecution, more trials, more pain. Wait a minute, those aren't positive qualities. Or, or are they? Or are they? 
From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and the night I've been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and perils among the false brethren, and weariness and toil and sleeplessness, and often in hunger and thirst and fastings and cold and nakedness, besides the things which comes upon me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Wow. Let's come up for air and take a breath. And he's about ready to make a point that don't judge the, the quality of your life based upon your perceived look of power and strength because the people who think they stand better take heed, what? Lest they fall. And we see the paradox all through Scripture when we see that God uses the weak things of the world and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh will glory in my presence. What a beautiful picture of the upside-down kingdom of God that we, in, that we live in and serve in. It isn't about avoiding the problems of life. It's about letting God use those things as he conforms us to the image of his son. Didn't get a place on a team? It's okay. Things aren't working out this way? It's all right. God has a purpose and God has a plan. Just last week, Thursday night, our, our daughter blew an ACL and hopping around, probably meniscus too, and like devastated. All the whole, whole world's upside down now. No, it's not. God speaks and God uses, and He will never, He will never contradict His plan through the Word of God and the Spirit of God to grow us and conform us to the image of His Son. Nothing can stop that. We can't stop His work. Because that's what he is determined to do. And from his perspective, it's already done. In, uh, in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul continues. Look in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. He just said I was taken up to the third heaven. And I saw things I better not say anything about. And I'm convinced Paul saw a glimpse of heaven. And there were no words in the vocabulary to describe how glorious and how majestic God's home, eternal home, is for his children. He says, unless, and nobody else has had those revelations, perhaps with the exception of Ezekiel or Zechariah. But but nevertheless, nevertheless, Paul says, "I, I don't want to glory in those things. Listen to what he says. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me from a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. You know the verse. In verse 9, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's Jesus speaking to Paul. Jesus said, Paul, you, you have this, this, this thing in your flesh. You have something that's going to keep you from being exalted. And I want you to understand, I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to remove the problem from your life. I'm not going to remove the trial you're going through because this is what it's doing. It's teaching you that, that, that weakness is a source of power. That, that my strength is perfected in your weakness. What a beautiful picture that the world needs to see. 
because we somehow think that we have to go for the gusto or, the, or, 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 or only these certain people can ever get ahead. And God says, no, if you're my child, you're already ahead. You're already, you're already from my perspective, conformed in the image of, the son, of my son. And he says that, that my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. I take pleasure? No, wait a second. Is that what yours says? I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in the needs that I have, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The weaker I am, the stronger I am. The more I depend upon Christ, the more power that Christ gives to me. And I have the power to withstand that. What a beautiful perspective. He tells us very, very clearly that that weakness helps us combat pride. Weakness helps us combat pride. That's in verse 7. In verse 8, weakness turns us to a dependent relationship with God. Weakness turns us to God. Why does God bring trials in life? One of the reasons is because it turns us to him. And he is glorified. Oh, I just long to support you and encourage you through this trial. That's why God promises never to leave us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why? Because we need the assurance that when we walk through the valley, God is with us. And David understood that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm all alone and you've abandoned me. No, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. (laughs) I am convinced in this life, if we can understand the presence of God, we can go through anything. We can go through anything. One of our foster parents uh, um, was jumping on the trampoline and came through the net, uh, landed on her neck, and broke her neck. And she's paralyzed. She's a, she's a, a paraplegic. She's got movement in her, in her arms and her head, and that's it. And um, they moved to Texas so she could be closer to some rehab, and she's at a, at, at a, a facility, facility owned by um, Chip and whoever gains, you know, that down there. Anyway, she's in a gymnasium, and, and, she's, in, and she's in a pool. They're like, well, you can't come in the pool. We've got to have, we've got to have lifeguards. We have to have, and, she, and, and her husband goes, you know, how, how, many, how many laps does a lifeguard have to, to swim for certification? And, and they said 12. And he says, Heidi swims 42 laps with just her arms. 42 laps in a pool with no legs? Yeah, because when you're weak, you're strong. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. The world doesn't understand that. Um, what an amazing picture. Weakness also allows us to see the fish, sufficiency of God's grace. God's grace is enough for you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the challenges that you're facing. For those that are out there, I don't, I don't know what, what all is going on, but I do know this. I want you to understand this, that the grace of God is enough the Paul says, grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace will match, will overly match the need that you have. What is it that you're going through? And you're asking yourself, God, is your grace enough? 
And, and lastly, weakness, weakness allows us to experience the power of God. Weakness allows us to experience God's power. And that's why weakness is really strength. Weakness truly is, is power. Isaiah 41.10, this is not just the New Testament, this is in the Old Testament as well. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Or Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the strong. No, he gives power to who? The weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall utterly fail, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God's power is available for those who are weakness, because in God's economy, to be weak is to be strong, and to be strong is to be weak. It's a paradox of redemption. May God use that in our lives in the, in the, in the weeks to come. You can encourage people who are going through trials with this. Stay firm, stay strong. God's strength is available for you. First, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but, a, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or Ephesians 6.10 um, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Again, over and over in Scripture, we see the same message coming out. The paradoxes of redemption remind us that God's economy is vastly different than ours. We don't understand that. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. The fallacy of the world is that you can do it on your own. You got everything it takes. Unfortunately, that philosophy leaves people broken, confused, and feeling worthless. And God has created you to be in a dependent relationship with him through faith. And his strength is made perfect in our weakness. The very thing that you think will hold you back in this world is the very thing that God uses to propel you forward because there's strength in weakness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word of God. It is rich. It is powerful. And I pray that you would bless us this week and the weeks to come as we learn about your working in our lives. Glorify yourself, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.